0: Please turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. I'll be reading 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Okay? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what shall be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. And therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Holy, faithful Creator, author of our salvation, and the new creation let us see in your word your ways and be moved to entrust everything in our lives to you more so to the glory of Jesus Amen. All right, we've been in 1 Peter since last October, and throughout this letter, there's these two main things that we keep seeing clearly. One is that this letter is so unambiguously saying that true, everlasting, Happiness is found in Jesus, the treasure of all things. And this letter, this is the second thing, about that joy is written largely about pain and suffering and non-joyful experiences. In and of themselves. I, 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 the, the, here, here's, here's the conclusion that, that I'm drawing from this letter of 1 Peter. That the essence of the Christian life is this twofold reality, it is people who are pursuing their own happiness and joy. In Jesus and suffering, crying, grieving. We can see it right there in verse 19. Look at it. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. The theology of that verse has been the key to ten thousands of fellow believers that have gone before us. It has been the key for many of them to suffer things that are unimaginable to most of us. Starting with the apostles, you open up, and, and there's the first generation of the church to Acts chapter 5, verse 40, and we read, And when they, that is the council, the Jewish council, the leaders called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let go. And you think, okay, that Peter was one of them. And later he writes, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing good A few chapters later, in chapter 7, there's the deacon, Stephen. And we read in verse 59-60, And as they were throwing rocks at his head, stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he died. Here's the word of the Lord to every one of us in here this morning that embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life, no matter what you experience. Loss, slander, Sickness, financial collapse, relationships being torn asunder. No matter what you experience, entrust your lives all of all of those experiences intimately to God the Father. That's the call this morning. Now, He doesn't just say that. Just do it! Because behind verse 19, there is a theology. There is an understanding of this God and His ways from which we obey the command. Entrust your souls to a faithful Creator. Just look at it. It's right there. I'm not making it up. That's why verse 19 begins with the word, Therefore. Meaning, because you understand Christianity, the theology of verses 12 to 18, therefore, verse 19, entrust your souls to a faithful Creator. So, let's do it. Let's go to verses 12 to 18 to see what leads Peter to this radical statement. Starting with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you in order to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay. Here's a command. Don't be shocked. If a Christian is Stunned that that happened to me, it means they're either a new Christian or they've been sold a bill of goods in the church. I was stunned in 1985. Two and a half years, it was just going smooth. And I was taught particular things. And then, it felt like my life fell apart. And I was angry at God. I didn't have a category for that. I was sold a bill of goods to which God was merciful to a sinner In his anger toward him. Why not in this text? Why not be surprised? He says because it's not out of the ordinary. It's not strange. Weird. (laughs) Look at that. I'm a Christian. How could that happen since I love Jesus? Don't be shocked as if something strange happening to you not only that it's happening to you for God's purpose it's for your testing verse 19 remember it said those who suffer according to God's will there's no such thing as suffering outside of God's will. He says here, verse 12, these fiery trials, this suffering is for your testing. Now, remember how clearly Peter has already said this back in chapter 1. Just flip back there for a moment. In chapter 1, starting with verse 6, he's already said, Believer, let me, let me just put it together. Remember what he said before here when I said, at the core of Christianity is a pursuit, not a pain. It's a pursuit of real happiness. You've been born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is imperishable and defiled and kept reserved in heaven for you. And in this you rejoice. Okay, there it is. And then the next thing. Even though, <laughs> during this time, this life, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, okay, here's the purpose. It's not Satan's purpose. It's not the person who did you wrong's purpose. It's not the drunk who killed your family member on a road. It is God's ultimate Purpose. You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though it's tested by fire, that your faith may be more purified like gold, or may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that was chapter 1. Here in chapter 4, it's the same thing. These fiery trials are the refiner's fire. They're there, he says, to test you, which means they have a positive outcome. Now, just pull away from Peter for a moment. okay? Paul, what do, you, do you agree with him? Is this your understanding, Paul, of the Christian life? Meaning I mean Christian life down here, this side of death, this side of the second coming, during this age, waiting for the age to come. Paul, is this Christianity? This is how I think he would answer. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses eight to nine. Corinthians. We want you to know or we do not want you to not know, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we got to the place where we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Next word in Greek is hina, meaning in English, in order that. He says, we went through this. And then there's a purpose. And it's not Satan's. And it's not some of these evil guys that were causing some of this probably to him. We went through this in order that we may rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's saying our Savior, our Father, our faithful Creator who has brought me, Paul, and and my companions to Himself is sovereign over it and therefore He even purposes affliction, fiery trials, to produce less reliance on the world and more reliance on Him. So Peter here says, don't be surprised. Meaning, because your knowing, understanding God's design in whatever is the means through growing closer to God in it instead of, Pulling away from God because of it. Remember how Jesus said it? That he says, yes, look at this. These are real. The fourth soil. They bear 30, 60, 100 fold. But there was another soil and He says, oh yeah, the kingdom of God comes. They hear it. They say, "Yoohoo!" And they rejoice. And then, they're surprised. Caught off guard. Tribulation. Affliction comes because of the Word and they fall away. So Peter's saying, don't be that. Don't be surprised or think it's strange of whatever you're going through. But understand it's purpose. It's a testing. It's a refining. And God is not off the throne of your life. And over your life in it, and so as we read on, he says, "Don't be surprised." But now, verse thirteen: instead, or but, rejoice. <laughs> but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. Strange. Now, okay. Remember, we just read in Acts, the apostles are called in. They've been preaching Christ. The leaders don't want them to do it. They give them some beatings. The very next verse says, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Okay, I, I, I think that's gotta mean something like this. We're Christians. We believe in the gospel now. We're preaching it. The leadership says, don't preach it. Well, we know we're gonna have, we're gonna have to obey Christ, not you. They suffered for it, and then they rejoiced because they were counted, counted worthy. There's something about that that says that experience of suffering for Christ, I think this is what's going on in their hearts. That means that, that's another sign. I, John or Peter, and James, Andrew, I'm real. I rejoice. There's this there's this tension that I opened up with throughout 1 Peter. It's about rejoicing while crying and suffering and hurting. Because Christianity is anchored and it's rooted not in this world. It's rooted in the promise of the world to come which has come into this world now knowing what is yours. Then all because of Christ. But rejoice. And that's how Peter says it insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. It means you're His. And Peter thinks that reality is worthy of rejoicing about. But let's let's, let's see how he unfolds. It. Okay? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Okay, Peter. Okay. Yeah. But okay. But give me more. Give me more. Why? He answers it. Notice, he says, this is why. Here's the purpose for you to do that. To rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. So that you may also rejoice and be glad. Let me just, literally from the original, that you may exceedingly rejoice. At the second coming and beyond, when Christ is revealed. See, the logic is that rejoicing here, where evil is still present, death is still present, pain and suffering and sin are still here, rejoicing here leads to. Exceedingly rejoicing, then you see it. I mean, it's right, isn't it? Clear? Give me a. N- Please read it. Okay. let's go back to. Okay, Paul, do you agree? Paul, here's his answer. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Peter is saying that our joy now through suffering in some way is the means of our joy ten thousand fold then in the future. Remember, so I started off saying that the essence of what it is to be a Christian is this dynamic. You are pursuing your real joy. In all of life. Even suffering. That's what he's saying. Because born again lovers of Jesus when it gets down to it no don't them perfectly but they will you're going to give me a choice to have Christ then whatever it takes to not lose him is my treasure I'll take and so the apostles rejoiced having been counted worthy to suffer. So notice now, Peter is motivating, rejoicing in true joy today by the appeal of the promise of future rejoicing forever. The apostles got a hold of it. What are you going to do? Don't preach anymore. Let's weigh it out. That could, that could cause some temporary pain down here. Okay, wait a minute. Ooh, but the promise of Christ forever. I, I love Him. What am I going to do? We will take whatever has to come. They're out for their joy. They're not masochist. So now in verse 14, Peter goes on, to give an example as the foundation of what we have just seen there in verses twelve to thirteen. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now he just said before this, there is a rejoicing, rejoice. Now, so that in the future, there's real, exceeding, unbounded joy. That's future. Then, in here, it's not future. It's a present tense. If you are insulted... Let me, let me stop there for a moment. First century, context. If people are bad-mouthing you Christians because of your faith. I know what I'm doing here this morning. I am drawing because on purpose. But I don't have a lot of time to, to argue for it. Let me just take 30 seconds. And I'm drawing the implications of whether you're insulted because directly of Jesus or whether you're dying of cancer. Or whatever other losses and things happen in life. See, I would apply it. He's not mentioning martyrdom here, but this is directly applicable to the Christians 150 years from now, and some sporadic Roman persecution that will give up their life for Christ by refusing to deny Jesus. Okay, it that principle applies, and if if God as we're going to see in this text, suffering according to His will. If He is sovereign, directly because you're a missionary here, you're witnessing to a family member in torrents, and you are insulted, or whatever the circumstances, if He is sovereign over your life in that, okay, He has to be sovereign over everything. I mean, would you I mean the only other option is yeah he's sovereign there. Somehow God is willing that, but when it comes to well, you didn't had nothing to do directly of preaching Christ, you found out you got cancer. Is he less sovereign? No. Let me come back. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, present tense, you are now blessed because the spirit of glory and of god present tense verb rests upon you now one commentator on first peter dr grudem writes the spirit of glory and of god rest upon you indicates an unusual fullness of the presence of the holy spirit to bless to strengthen and to give a foretaste of heavenly glory yeah i think he's right i th- i think this is what i think grudem's saying this is what i think peter is saying, if and in your pain and suffering or trials that come upon you to test you, like chapter 1 or like chapter chapter 4, they're molding you, they're bringing the dross off the top, and they come in myriad forms. He's saying, in that hour of that trial, the presence of God who is sovereign will be with you in the way that you need. In order to endure it, that's what I think he's saying. When it, I mean, I don't know if you're like me. So, sometimes you know you feel <laughs> the biggest problem you has is is if your football team's gonna win, and then you pick up Voice of the Martyrs magazine and. And you look, and you see what some fellow believers around the world are suffering for their faith at the moment, or like last month, when I read the new biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a believer, he was a scholar, he was a pastor, he's a German, and in the thirties, of course, up into the forties, he finally did what he thought was righteousness and to become part in trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And he ended up being thrown in prison for the last couple of years before the end of the World War. And Hitler, before he blew his own brains out, I want to make sure that Bonhoeffer and numbers of other of his enemies were put to death. And they hung him a few weeks before Hitler blew his own brains out. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave up his life for Christ, for righteousness at age 39. I read stuff like that. I read Fox's book of martyrs and whoo! And I just, I, am I a Christian? Would I ever be able to, to make those decisions like that person, like Bonhoeffer? And I feel like, no way. Well, just, let's not just take it to martyrdom. Just work it on down. I spent a lot of time in a hospital this last week. Would I be able to handle that? My mother's sitting in her room, post-operation floor, pretty much like an ICU. And about 22 feet away in the next door, which almost faces ours. The the evening before, I see that they had to rush in there and do CPR. I didn't know who was in there. And then the next day, my sister was there. When it happened, I got there right after. This 22-year-old girl, dead. There's mom and there's dad and there's sisters or brothers and cousins and family coming through. And I feel I don't know if I could handle it. That's precisely Peter's encouragement here. He's saying, Believer, trust him. The Holy Spirit, in differing degrees, of your suffering, and your trial, and your pain. And it will be hard, but He will, as you need, presently then, rest with His glory, with His Spirit upon you. You are then blessed. Then in verses 15 and 16, He draws a conclusion from what we just seen here in verse 14. He says, but, or literally, he's saying, since that's true, see, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God, it rest, uh, He rests upon you. Therefore, or by all means then, pursue Him. In other words, let none of you therefore go on sinning or suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in people's business. Y- yet if anyone suffers as a Christian Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name so here he is again saying God's presence his glory resting upon his child in the midst of suffering and that child is clinging to entrusting his soul his life his circumstances to God and he finds the grace of God's presence to do it that is glorifying God. Do you remember at the end of the Gospel of John how Jesus said it so clearly face to face with Peter? This is how you are going to be brutally killed because of the Gospel Peter. And then John by the Holy Spirit makes the comment this he said by showing peter what kind of death he would go through to glorify god yet if anyone suffers as a christian your believer our attitudes our actions what we are placing our hope in, in that suffering is glorifying to God when it is placing its hope and its trust in Him. Okay. Now, what we have seen there from verses 12 to 16 leads to, we're going to try to unravel what He says here now in verses 17 to 18. Okay. What he's doing now is we're going to read verses 17 to 18. That's what I think he's doing. He's taking everything you've heard here in these verses, and he's going to say, here's the larger theological backdrop or truth to this worldview that he is presenting us. That's why verse 17 begins with the word for, meaning, okay, got all this? Because of what? Okay, so in other words, I mean here here's the question is going, going on. What is going on in the world right now, today? What's going on in God, in his larger plan? In redemptive history during this time. Say it this way. Why many times in circumstances does it seem like God's people are suffering? And many of those who are not His are not suffering. Answer. Four. Because it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God and if it begins with us what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel and and, and if the righteous is scarcely saved that means in other words saved through this which he's saying they are that is with difficulty what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Okay, so what Peter's doing here, he, he is explaining the fiery trial in verse 12 there as God's judgment. Okay, now, can let, if judgment begins with a household of God. Okay, the word judgment here, in the original is the word crema. It does not necessarily mean this word, the way you use it, it has to mean condemnation. Uh-uh. There's a special word for that. Katakrima. There is therefore now no condemnation. No, katakrima for those who are in Christ Jesus. This idea of, 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 of judgment, crema, could mean just this the examination, this, Yes, did you get an A? Did you flunk? Did you get an F? Are you approved or are you disapproved? If if this testing, this examination is beginning with the church, that's what he's saying. So, so when he says judgment begins with believers, the household of God, or the church, that judgment of God's testing, the testing of fiery trials. He's saying, it's not there to destroy you. It's there, like chapter 1, purifying gold, growing you, preparing you for exceeding joy. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to turn to Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. It's the book that comes right before Matthew. And the reason is, most scholars, and I believe, and I believe this now too, Most scholars think Peter's got Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. That, what we're going to read here, this is going on in Peter's mind as he pens verses 17 to 18 the way he pens it. Okay? You there, Malachi chapter 3. Let's start reading. The Lord says through Malachi, over 400 years before the birth of Christ. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Jesus did that, he showed up in the temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure? the day of His coming. And who can stand when He appears? So get it? When Jesus came in human history, what's going on in God's larger plan here? For He is like... You can hear this language in Peter's words in his letter. Got it? He, this Jesus, is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Just stop there. Judgment. The coming one. It begins with the household of God, as Malachi is saying. He's a refiner. He's producing something good. The the examination will be pleasing to Him. Levi, the priesthood of all believers. He's referring to it. Be good. Got that? Now he goes on in verse 5. Or we can say the way Peter says, that being true, (laughs) what will become of those who aren't of God's house? Verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear Me, says the Lord of hosts. So there's Malachi, the purifier of the household of God. And bringing destruction upon unbelievers, and so Peter's saying, "Christian, understand God and His providence and His redemptive plan. Understand what time frame you're in now, so that you're not shocked on how it works." He's saying, pain, suffering, crises, evil. It's leaving nobody, pagan or believer, nobody is being left untouched by this right now. Christian and non Christian, as I traveled to the hospital for eight straight days this last week, they're in those rooms. No one's being left untouched. He's saying though, Christians are being purified, strengthened in God, weaned from love of the world by it. Let me appeal to Charles Spurgeon for a moment. He wrote 130 or so years ago, pastor in London, quote, I'm afraid that All the grace that I have got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on top of a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house it's the best book in a christian's library and so now he's saying look if the effect of this reality brings such this appears anguish upon believers that is, those who are being forever and eternally saved. If it brings this kind of pain and crying and screaming here during this age, what will become of those who don't know Him saving? what shall the second coming of Christ the consummation of this kingdom that He has brought and inaugurated with His coming and His death and His resurrection what will judgment day bring for those who have rejected the only escape for the eternal consequences of their sin who have rejected Jesus the good news of His coming who is the only refuge from condemnation. That's what I think he's saying when he says again, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel? He's saying, look, God's judgment, His sovereign providence is moving in the earth and the church and believers and His precious Peter or Paul. They do not escape it when it hits them. But when it hits them, when it burns them, that fiery trial, it's testing. It's purifying. It will redound to them for their good. And when it hits those who do not obey the gospel, it will either awaken them so that it becomes good or it will harden them. That's why he says, if the righteous, that's the Christian, is scarcely or literally, if the believer through this process that he's laying out here of suffering, pain, trials, if the righteous is saved through this kind of difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So here's as we close. Know it. This is what Peter's saying throughout it. Believer, you who embrace Christ, you who have come to the loving, heavenly Father, the testings that you go through are not because He's angry at you, because you're in Christ. That's what propitiation means. Jesus was put forward as a propitiation in His blood. Meaning, Jesus absorbed God's righteous anger for your sin. Jesus took that, absorbed it, pacified it, and transformed it, therefore, into perfect, Everlasting love of a father to a son or a daughter. None of God's providential circumstances in your life, if you're in Christ, are brought out of anger towards you. They're wrought out of love And they are purifying you. And this is a brief, brief, brief mortal life. So that we also may exceedingly rejoice. Then. That's why Peter says. Believers are being saved. And it can be rough through difficulty. And now that brings us back to where we started. Verse 19. Put it together. Therefore, because in verses 12 to 18, we we understand a little bit more about who God really is. Therefore, entrust your souls to the Father in all your suffering. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator because you know you don't suffer accidentally. It's not as if you can't intimately draw near to God the Father and say, I know, how you doing today? It's, that's good. And I know, that, I know that somehow this is out of your hands and you couldn't prevent it. He's saying God's not that distant. He's saying you can draw near to Him and you can entrust it all. Because he's faithful. Let me appeal to Spurgeon one more time. As he writes, I would be, excuse me, it would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me. That the bitter cup was never filled by His hand? That my trials were never measured out by Him, nor sent to me by His arrangement of their weight and their quantity? End quote. So he's saying, as we come to know, verses 12 to 18... And then because of that, you who suffer according to God's will and trust your soul as a faithful creator. He's saying as we come to grasp the sovereign providence of God's, there's a comfort. There's a comfort to be fought for and to be had. Our Father knows what you're going through more than you ever dreamed. It's so that in our fears and in our tears we will come to experience Romans 8.28 prayerfully all the more. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. So entrust your souls to a faithful Creator, a loving Father. Let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer. That You would work verses 12 to 19 in us, Your people. Cause us to draw near to You through Your Holy Word, through the way You reveal Yourself Cause our rejoicing now to develop truly. Cause us to taste and see that you are better than all the trivia that we're so tempted toward in this life. Continue to do this work. Continue to minister to to souls and to pains and to hurts in your people as we are closing in song here, I pray. Amen.